September 20, 2021. It's a lot for Pedro show.
Happy Monday. We started off with John Coltrane doing In a Sentimental Mood. Then John P. Strong with Inside. And you might have noticed that I'm not Man Alone because of that voice that kept trying to bogart on me, bringing in the show. Those Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention, we got John P. Strong. Welcome aboard, John. Thank you so much. It's great, great great to be on the show. I think the last time I saw you was maybe in Manhattan. I can tell you exactly when it was. Or was uh, it in Austin, it Texas? Was, uh, it was South by Southwest, yeah. That's right. It was Austin, Texas. <laughs> and uh, some kind of gig, right? Or something. We were at. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what I, I was. I was there, uh, you know, sort of. I bet you it's in the fucking do, do tour it. diary, though. <laughs> It's in the tour diet. Well, I don't know. I should have been doing that shit way back with the Firehose touring with Blake Babies. You know, I didn't start doing Diary until like 1999. I tried one in 83 with the first time Minuteman went overseas, but I was 20 years late with that. Uh, But let's talk about your journey through music, John. Okay. Please bring the earliest recollection memory of music. Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit. You were asking for my earliest memory of, of uh, engaging with music. And uh, that would be when I was about three years old, I was obsessed with the Glenn Campbell show on TV. Or maybe it was the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hours, one of those shows that Glenn Campbell had. And, you know, my parents would leave the TV on 
after the news and, and, uh, I got super engaged with that and, um, you know, kind of went from there, but, uh, you know, kind of the first time I actually saw somebody with a guitar singing and a microphone, uh, making a song, I was completely fascinated. You know, I'm not saying it could have been anybody. It was good. That it was Glenn Campbell. Cause I'm still a fan of this day, but, uh, that was what initially knocked me out was, uh, you know, just the idea that you could get up and do that. Now the pad you grew up in, was there musical instruments? No. So I, I grew up in Bloomington, Indiana, and my parents are, are professors at Indiana University. They're not anymore, but they were. And, uh, you know, they've moved on and retired. Uh, my old man lives in New York now. But no, they, they were they were music fans, music appreciators. We had a we had a nice sounding stereo and a bunch of great albums. My old man was super into Bob Dylan and kind of anything that spun out from that. So it was a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of really good shit, a lot of folk music and and uh but they they don't play music. Nobody in my family plays music. So it was a unique challenge for them with me really wanting to play music. And I had a fits and starts music education that really didn't get going until I started playing punk rock. Well, let me ask you about grade school. Were you in the choir, the okay. marching band, shit like that? I was in the choir. Uh, I used to get kicked out of choir and, and band uh, on the regular. Uh, I was uh, somewhat unfocused and, and – uh, uh, arrogant kid, you know, something happened that, that was, uh, kind of set the stage for, for the years to follow when I was about five or six years old, which is my mother put me in a, a music class and the woman who taught the class, who I think was a really good music educator, uh, singled me out and identified that I was talented to my mother who didn't know how to, you know, kind of navigate these things. And the reason was because she did this exercise where she would clap out a rhythm and, then she'd have you know these little kids clap their the back, and I could do it for four bars. I could do it for for like a, a really you know insanely long time for somebody that age. So she's like, this kid is definitely getting it. You need to get him further music education. And then and then then it was the wilderness for a long time. So I hated choir. I hated school band. And the pattern was they'd get me an instrument to learn. I'd take lessons and I yeah, wouldn't get anywhere what, with it. What, what band did you play in school? What, what 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 instrument did you play in band at school? Well, that's kind of when I got going. So sixth grade, I tried piano, I tried guitar. I had a little gut string guitar around the house. So I figured out how to tune it to a chord so I could make songs. But, you know, they, they considered that to be not really formal music education. But then I started playing drums in, in school band. So uh, sixth grade, uh, I was I was on the snare drum. And that's the first thing I really enjoyed. And and then I got some drum set lessons, and by the time I was in high school, I was playing the bands, and and then I was off to the you races. You mean the lessons? It was it part of school? Was an outside teacher? I had a jazz teacher, and he was great. This guy Scott McCord. I wonder if he's still alive and kicking. He was probably, uh, you know, fifteen or so years older than me. But uh, he had a lot of strong ideas about about how you played drums. Like he said, you should never polish your cymbals because that that that's ruins a, your that's toe. A jazz you know, you get. That's a jazz thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. They don't like... Uh, same thing with the, the guitars. They want dead strings, you know, flats that yeah, you never change right. because they want the, no overtones to get away of the punch, I think. Uh, let me ask you this. First record you bought with your own money. Well, it's kind of an embarrassing story, maybe a little bit, but uh, I, I was... The first song that I heard on the radio that I had to have a copy of to listen to myself was Rock and Roll All Night by Kiss, but I didn't know what it was. So that would have been second grade. 
I guess, 76. Uh, that song was on the radio. It was on AM radio. And uh, that was back in the days when we'd just listen to uh, I'd listen to the real JLW and WTTS in Bloomington and hear all the hits. And I heard that song and I was like, holy mackerel, that, that is a song I've got to hear again. So I didn't really know how to describe it. I just went to my old man. And I said, I heard this song and I want to buy a record. And he said, OK, let's go to the record store. And then we went to the record store and I walked out of there with the record he wanted to buy, which he convinced me to buy, which was the Eagles greatest hits. And uh, I brought it home, and I was super disappointed because it wasn't the right song, and it it was it didn't didn't really rock, you know. I mean, I kind of liked that witchy woman a little bit, but I was stuck with this Eagles record, so I listened to it a bunch, and I kind of came around to it, but it was very disappointing. I went and had a second try, and I, I went home then with Kiss Alive, and I felt better about that. But yeah, I was a, I was a hard rock kid. I I was in the I was in the Kiss, and then oh, you know, my, the, the first, label that I wrote. John, what was the first oh, gig you went and saw? Oh, the first gig ever. Well, that was uh, in 1978, so I would have been 11. I got my old man to take my my couple of buddies and me to see Yes in the Round. Yes, uh, bass player band, Chris Squire. Yeah, yeah. It was, I found it was, that uh, out that, later, I, but if you listen to the mixes, it's kind of easy to tell why. But, you know, I never heard of a bass player leading a band until Richard Hell. And that's why he ended up my first punk rock hero. You gave me this here, Counting Back. Yeah. Two friends I lost along the way One had so much fun for the price we had to pay and now we're young only to remain and another's come unstrung and now we're counting backwards count it up when the day is done losing track of all the places in the sun going back even on holiday never going back even though you long to stay love will find another way And he blew himself away And now we're counting 
show start off that chunk with music john p strome counting backwards then from uh, brazil brand new vermes do limbo right worms limbo worms uh direte bill nace yeah. with part eight of eight of his piece both and he's just getting done with the new album he just told me uh up around the sun which is a new proj in austin texas with uh, tim kerr big boy i mean my Second Mission Men are going to do a big boy. I remember in those days, you know, Minuteman, big boys, really influenced by pop group. The whole idea of just Cap Beefheart with Parliament Funkadelic. Why not, you know? Chris Gregory, brand new. Bird Flight, part two or three. Mode Open out of Baltimore. Uh, cuticle, canicle. Bombas Prendon, questions. And then This American Lie, John P. Strong. So you're getting the drums. Well, you're yep. getting into all kinds of instruments, right? But the drums is what you like. And it's probably, now I'm not saying after school, like graduate, but in the afternoon, bedroom band, basement band, garage band, right? Buddies doing drums? Well, yeah, exactly. I had, I had a best buddy back then, Harry, and we set our drum kits up together, and we were all competitive with each other, and got pretty good. Oh wow! And, and so I the did band, not have the band had two drummers. Well, it wasn't a band; it was just you know my buddy Harry and me, you know, getting on the kit and sort yeah, of challenging yeah. each other. We're just learning how to play, so, so like jams, we were not thinking right? of it as a band, you know. Yeah, yeah like jams and, and, and probably trying to learn, learn stuff off records, right? That's what me and D. Boone exactly. Yeah, how the hell do we do it, you know? And and uh, and definitely getting each other to up each other's game because you know you'd have to show up with something because he was a good drummer. And uh, so then from there got into playing in punk rock bands, and uh, you know that was just kind of playing around the neighborhood stuff. We had an all ages club, and and but by by mid mid high school I was playing gigs out of town. And do you, uh, can opening you remember for- your first gig? Yeah, I do, man. And I remember how terrifying it was. So they used to have this thing in Bloomington called Street Dances. And it was the local cable radio station put them on, WQAX. And the local bands would play on the street, and they block off streets. And uh, that was my first goal. I want to play a street dance. And my band played one of these street dances, and uh, I just remember being terror-stricken about it. And it was no big deal. It was great. Actually, that was – I don't know if that was the, the very street dance, but one of those right around that time I saw – the live band that kind of set my future out in front of me. And that was a band called the Zero Boys. You remember them? Sure, sure. I, I, I think Minutemen got to play with them. It was like a fucking Probably. Toga. It was a fucking toga party, like Animal House shit. Maybe it was five <laughs> guys were involved. I don't know, but it wasn't trippy. But Minutemen did get to play with them cats. I'm, I'm pretty sure. You know, a little while ago. Well, it, but, but it would be likely. You, and, did this band have a name? Right. That band, uh, gosh, what was that band called? I think that band was called Yellow Rain. Okay. And I had a band. So there's a guy um, that, that kind of distinguished himself later. He is a 
producer engineer that was kind of a, a, a cut up and he was a couple years older than me and he had a band that had a kind of name around the circuit and, and the band is called killing children and uh it was such an embarrassing name that i wouldn't want to tell people about it but it was a band that was actually kind of popular so that was my first experience sort of playing gigs and it was a joke hardcore band you know it's like a tongue-in-cheek you know trying to think of the most offensive name we could come up with you know and uh most of it was making fun of glenn danzig that was the main kind of uh deal with the band was sort of making jokes about about death uh, death punk you know and not well later on right the some cat came out with a fancy it's not just glenn but henry's with them too <laughs> you ever see <laughs> yeah. that shit it's like they're all I did, sensitive. yeah, and it's easy. It's easy to make fun of that stuff, but it's we also thought it was awesome. I mean, it, we yeah. we didn't we didn't really think, you know, we thought the minute the, the misfits were amazing, but we also thought the whole thing was kind of kind of silly. So, since we couldn't do it for real, you know, since we we're kind of getting our getting our our, uh, our feet wet, it was like easier to kind of make fun of it. But it was a good band, and and uh, and I, I got I got pretty good at drums. Oh, and also speaking of the Bluebird, another thing I would do is I was kind yeah. of on call to play like the the blues jam you know I'd, I'd you know be the guy behind the drums for you know four hours of people come and playing blues blues licks and stuff so i was i was getting a lot, a lot of experience that's good crack yeah no you know yep. high school's over but you go to high well well let, let me let me say this is okay. where a character you know comes in free to love frida from blake babies uh we were high school sweethearts and at some point kind of toward the end of high school, she came to me and she's like, okay, I know you're going to be a musician and, and I want to do it too. And so I have to learn an instrument. So I think I should be the drummer. And I was like, huh? And I was learning guitar at that point. She's like, you should be playing guitar. I should be on drums. So <clears throat> I knew the deal, you know, it's like people want to learn drums. You go down you try to show them a basic beat, you know, half an hour later, they're frustrated. They give up. So we went down to the basement and I showed her a basic beat and she was playing right away with good feel. You know, I was like, Oh, so then, then we started building something with me and guitar and her on drums. And it was kind of a move away from hardcore because she couldn't play like that. You know, she could groove like Mo Tucker, you know. So that kind of dictated the the direction of our next band. Right. But what I was going to ask you was, you decide after high school to higher education with music, right? I did. You know, my, my parents, as I said, are professors. That it was really important to, to them that I go to college, but I, I wasn't really... Uh, I didn't really have the kind of discipline. I, I was focused on music. I didn't really want to go to college. So I sort of conned them into letting me go to Berkeley in Boston, which is where I knew I could go and really get a band going. So I was not at that time like, oh, I've got to get an education. That came later. You know, I actually finished schools, as we'll probably talk about. But um, yeah, lot, at the time, stuff I was like that. But I know because Boston ends up a big connect and it's a little bit different than uh, Bloomington. And it, oh and, yeah, and for sure. The, and then the Berkeley School of Music, right? Especially with the Connects. Well, there's a lot that was going on there that was ridiculous at the time. You know, like the sort of what they call jazz funk. You know, the kind of Weather Channel music, fusion, and you fusion. know, there are a lot of real jazz purists there and stuff. I think fusion, and metal not really shredders. Purist. I, I, I would call it more jazz fusion. Not yeah, to get that's hung right. up on semantics or anything. Well, well, no, but there were definitely like bebop purists. You know, there are these oh, sure. dudes that hang around in suits. You know, pretending like they were in Miles Davis band. <laughs> you know, in the in the in the 50s. You know, that was that was a thing too. Like music stopped at this point. Like I run into those people now because you know they're jazz, they're they're purists in all sorts of genres. So, like they're bluegrass purists. You know, there's definitely jazz purists, and you know for that matter, there's like a 
Yeah, but don't get garage rock tears. Yeah, (laughs) Beatlemania, right? Dress up like the Fab Four, and it's Halloween every night. It gets to be kind of shtick, right? At some point, ain't yes. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but music's music. That genre shit is fucked up a lot of things. I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm about open creativity. You know, I don't think that there should be rules in music, and I know you are too. We've talked about this a lot. You know, yeah. it's uh, yeah. you should be so, able to find your thing. But I got, I got lucky because I met great people. You know, by the end of my first year in, in at Berkeley, I'd met Juliana Hatfield. Who, that's what who was, I was going to say. That's why I meant by connects. I know there's people yeah. wearing costumes and putting on airs. You, you know, we're all that's right. What they say, uh, youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> we all have to go <laughs> go through trips, right? Now, if you keep doing that as a less younger guy, yeah, you're. But I think there's steps, right? You gotta fuck up and, and try to find where the fuck you're going. But you do get to meet yeah. the third member you, with Frida, and you make Blake Baby, and that's how I know you. I think it was yeah, it was well, Cameron. right around that time. I met I, I think met it was Juliana. Metro. I met I met. I think it was yeah. cafe, uh, on on Clark Street in Chicago. Our first gig together, sharing the same same stage. Yeah, that's right. And I and I have to say that that touring with Firehose and we did several times. We probably did some somewhere around, you know, 30 or so shows together. Incredibly formative for all of us. You know, you you were a great a great mentor for our band, you know. We were, I remember uh, we, we were, were going to do a whole tour together and it ended after the first gig cuz your boat hit a fucking a pillar that supports a light at uh, shopping center park. <laughs> the, the tour was over, right? You, <laughs> your face on the steering wheel and the radiator broke all the fluid. <laughs> like the tour's done. Oh God! Yeah, I was not super responsible, I guess. Well, you couldn't see because mo- you were pushing around a shopping cart. Yeah, maybe not have fun with the boat on tour. But anyway, <laughs> tell me about the first Blake Baby gig. Well, uh, we. We found that we had everything in common. This is Julianne and Frida and me in terms of the music we loved. Uh, we loved X. We loved, you know, Husker Du. We loved R.E.M. We had all these favorite bands in common, replacements. And so we, we also, I had some songs. Julianne had some songs. So very quickly we got some repertoire together. And we started practicing at Berkeley. And, and the, the, you know, the, like the jazz fusion and metal people would openly laugh at us because you could, <laughs> you could hear what was coming out of the rooms. And, you know, there's a window they could look in there. They could see Frida behind the drums. She was, she still kind of knew one beat, you know, and they just, they just laughed full throated. Ha ha ha. And, you know, we were not dissuaded by that. And then yeah, the first gig that we got was actually in a, in a kind of a used clothing store and they moved the racks and uh, we went in there and played basically for our friends but uh, was it you know, as we scary were as, what we're was doing. It, it was, was it as scary as that first gig with the city dance, street dance? No, but it was weird because when we were loading out, like we'd have to get a, a taxi to load out, you know, and get a, a cab to move our gear. So we had a cab, like a station wagon cab pull up in front of Berkeley. And then we we're loading our stuff. And I was running because we didn't have much time. And I jumped on the stairwell and I bashed my head into this awning. And I cut my head open, and I had to go to the hospital in an ambulance. Oh shit! <laughs> so I went and got my head stitched up, and and uh, they put me on some 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 pain drugs, and I went back and played the gig. So I was kind of like in in a in an alternate reality, I'd say. It was filled up. <laughs> very very weird experience, but uh, we we got through it. We played. Yeah, and you know the band. It did have some, you know, thing that made it itself. It didn't seem like you guys were trying to be any other 
maybe you had bands you liked and stuff, but you weren't trying to be those bands. <laughs> no. Yeah, you weren't no, Mr. Do, you weren't R.E.M. You guys were Blake Babies. Who, who named that band? Damn straight, Allen Ginsberg. Wow. What, you met him? And, <laughs> what, I think you told me the story. Re- you asked him, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was before Juliana was in the band. We had another guy, a uh, funny dude, who, who was singing in the band. Uh, Dan Walcott was his name. And he and I, and I think Frida, went to uh, an Allen Ginsberg reading where he had his harmonium, you know, and he was kind sure, of carrying on. Sure, I went to on. one of we those here he, in uh, West Hollywood. Thought he was amazing. And so we decided uh, while we were watching, we're like, let's go let's go to the Q&A afterwards and ask him to name our band. And just whatever he comes up with, uh, that'll be our band name. And, and so I went up and I said, hey, hey you know, great respect. We love your work. You know, we have a band. How'd you like to name our band? He said, Yes, Blake Babies. <laughs> That's beautiful. Look, we're at the end of the first hour, <laughs> September 20, 2021. Just what people show. Special guest, John P. Strom, a whole type for hour two. September 20, 2021. Second hour, what Pedro.
with your recovery Take it one day at a time I chart for the hour Between four and five a.m. A diagram for the sand dust A revolution Leaves head spinning Incalculable loss Constant Ceaseless Certain Of that you can be I'm losing you You're losing me After all You can't take It with you So why hold on to Oh, 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 oh,
I've got a girl in a box Keep running my bed Sure must get hot in the summertime I get her out There's nothing else to do There's nothing on TV When I can't see you Wife don't mind If I give her a child My wife don't mind She thinks it's pretty wild I've got this girl in a box I got a girl in a box I'll keep her till the day I'll keep her till the day I'll keep her till the day that I die And I hope I die in the nighttime With my TV on and a beer in my hand got a girl in a box We play games I'm anything I'm not But I wanna be Yeah, I wanna be She'll be a slut A dirty little whore Or the girl next door Or my bride instead Or I'll cut off her head If I want Pedro Show, we start off the second hour. Blake Babies, out there. Ben Salter, brand new album out of Tasmania. Loss, is the name of the song. Nearby Sydney, Luca Sabella with Vias for Varicella. That's new for me. Tropakova uh, Kushna Pesci Pod Nadzororum. Sorry. Destroy Croatian very easily, not on purpose, but uh, that's, yeah, in English, uh, you're under surveillance. And finally, uh, Girl in a Box, Black Babies. So, did you do any recording with those cats in Bloomington, or, or is your first recording in Boston? It was it was really in Boston. Uh, we we did, some, did, did some floor tracking, you know, on the on the, uh, the Fostex, and I... I sort of understood a little bit about the process, but, but we had a kind of a Singali early on in Blake Baby's name, T.W. Lee, who worked at the Boston Film and Video Foundation, and they had an A-track studio, and we could go in there after hours. So, you know, we kind of figured it out together and made our first record in, 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 in several different studios, just however we could do it. Always late at night, because we're always trying to go off the books. More but our first real... Oh, go ahead. Maricano, Minutemen would do that. They called it downtime. It was half as much money, midnight to eight. 
Oh yeah, that's we never recorded at any time that any yeah. reasonable person would be same. awake. The only one we did during daytime was a buzz, uh, three-way tie, the worst one. <laughs> they were all at the and also always used tape, right? Because it was half half as much. Shit, we used to record oh, yeah. in order, so you didn't have to spend money on sequences. So, <laughs> so that, that, that first album, it was self-produced. Blake yeah, was, we put out one ourselves, yeah. and that that got got some attention for us. So the, the, uh, during that time, also, I was playing drums in the Lemonheads. That's so the, right. I was, that's I was right. Doing, doing that's double right. duty at that point, you know, I was playing playing with Juliana Frida. I was also playing drums in the Lemonheads. Eventually, both bands got so busy that I had to choose, and, and obviously, I chose the band I was writing the songs for. Did you ever write? Can I ask you that? Did you ever write songs on drums? On drums, no. No, uh, I didn't start writing songs till till we started Blake Babies, and and it's kind of a fifty fifty split with Julianne and me right. writing. So the two the two songs you just played, one of those was a co write where she wrote the words. The other one that I'm singing is one that I wrote on my own. But I, you know, we're all figuring out how to write songs. But there was a real great songwriters community there in Boston at that time. You know, we had Bill Janovitz from Buffalo Tom, and uh, you know Evan and Ben from Lemonheads, and you know, Dean Wareham was there, you know, Mascus was somewhere in the kind of, uh, in the, in, in, in the, in the air west, for sure. A little, little more West. Yeah. Yeah. But he was definitely around and a strong influence, you know, uh, Charles from the Pixies, you know, just a real emphasis on songwriting. Like we got to write great songs. That's, that's, that's what it had to be about, which I carry to this day. You know, I'm really glad to have been in a community where, you know, we're kind of, you feel like you got to write something great because you're going to be playing it for other great songwriters and you want them to be impressed, you know? That sort of community. You know, I'm into it, okay? Believe, believe me, we, me and D. Boone didn't know one motherfucker wrote their own songs in the 70s until the movement. Yeah. We, we, had, we met punk rockers. Everybody copied. But the, this other right. thing I'm trying to get at, John, is why does the songwriting... I mean, this happened with uh, when I read Beneath the Underdog, Charlie Mingus. Right? He does this wild-ass bass, but he's going to write songs on the piano. <laughs> right. Why can't the bass be a composition tool? Why can't the drums be a composition tool? Well, it is for you, you know. I mean, but, <laughs> but I'll tell you this. And, and I don't think I've ever shared this with anybody, but uh, there's one thing that I do. Like, I, I do a lot of hiking and running, and, and I like to go out without without ears on sometimes. And the thing that I always start to do is tapping out rhythms with my teeth. So if I'm if I'm walking along and I'm deep in my head, it's like I realize that I've got some rhythm going on my teeth. And I've come up with really good rhythms, and then I get home and I make I make uh, voice memos of the rhythms, and I use those in my writing. So you so, are you are you know, kind I, of composing I, with drumming, yeah. Yeah, I start with you know, and I, I'm not very sophisticated with you know making loops and beats and stuff like that, and that's something I would like to get better at because I still think of writing as you know I start with the guitar, come up with some changes, come up with a melody, come up with lyrics, and I know that 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 growth for me as a songwriter would be to get out of that and start to you know there's some songs i wrote i wrote i think when you played before that i wrote on piano even though i'm not a very good piano player because it gets me out of my kind of go-to's as a guitar player yeah because it's easy to get caught up in shtick right and all of a sudden you're on autopilot and it's right. just a human thing let's go back to these john p Str- i want to talk about this john p strome prod uh don't tell yep. it too your heart. Yeah.
Pedro Show. That chunk of music starred John P. Strong, Don't Tell to Your Heart. Kishi Bashi with Annie, Heart Thief of the Sea. He was on a couple weeks ago, great. Los Skeletons, Skeletones, South London. I'm the Funky Thang. <laughs> you know, that's how they talk there. And <laughs> Manuel Armida, uh, Mexico City cat, but he lives up in Yellowknife, Northwest Territory. Face in the Sky. It might be yours. And then John P. Strome, ready for nothing. <laughs> That's optimistic. <laughs> Tell me about this John P. Strome project. Well, look, I mean, I've been out of the, the music making thing in any kind of serious way for, for quite a while. And uh, I, I made a couple solo records um, back in the, uh, in the 90s, into the 2000s. But I, I left music very deliberately and went back to school and became a lawyer representing musicians. And now I work in a music company and I, I love my work, but uh, I've, I've had definitely the itch to get back. And, and in a lot of ways, it was the pandemic that made me want to get back into playing and recording music because, you know, I had the, the kind of headspace, you know, and I also have kids who are older now. So coming out of a really, really, really busy period of my life, it's like, what do I miss? What do I enjoy? It's playing music. So I'm now pushing. And this the, the seven songs I sent you are from an album that I'm making that's in process, you know, so it's uh, nobody's heard this stuff, haven't shared it yet. You know, it's kind of obscurely tucked away on SoundCloud if anyone wants to hunt it down. But it's something that I will commercially release sometime in the next year or so. Okay, tell whenever me, I'm done. Tell me something about it, though. Like, who are you playing everything? I play pretty much everything. There's a guy named Aaron Lee Tashin who who uh, is a great musician in Nashville you should know about who was kind of a collaborator. There's a guy named Gregory Latimer who's a, a buddy that has a studio. He and I knew each other in the 90s. You know, I, I actually went out to his house to talk about helping him with a, with a publishing deal and, and we ended up collaborating. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, how it happens sometimes, here. right? It's about yeah, yeah. people. It's about people. I was, I was, I'm I was, curious. I was his lawyer. I was his lawyer. He's like, yeah, yeah, hang out. Let's make something. And he was just a really creative guy. So I started bringing in ideas and he started putting shape to them. And, you know, I've got a few other friends, uh, the, the rhythm section of Phoebe Bridges. Yeah, band. I'm curious. Are uh, you the drummer? Are you the drummer on this stuff? I'm the drummer, except there's one that, uh, that has a drummer. Okay. So and, like, you're uh, but, most but of mostly stuff, it's me. Do, do you record yeah. the drums first? I'm, I'm just uh, interested in the process, you know, cause Stevie wonder Prince, even Dave Grohl's first, uh, Foo fighter, right? They're one man albums, and they all the three three things in common is they started with the drums. I'm, I'm so the way that I initially tried to do it. Gregory has a very very strong aesthetic, which is a good one, I think, and and uh, he likes things to be very uh, sort of spare and stripped down. And so initially, I went in there with a with a band. I had Ken Coomer from from. Uncle Tupelo and Wilco. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a, him. a, a great drummer. And, you, you know, know what? I, had, I had a rhythm that, section. Uh, uh, John, before that, Clockhammer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Clockhammer. Yes, that's the guy. Great band. Great he's, band. You know, Matt's, he, he's Matt a great Swan buddy. On he's bass. one of the. Yeah, I think Matt's that's right. now playing so, with the Lamb Chop guy. Yeah, Ken and this guy, uh, Jared, were, were uh, a rhythm section I was playing with at the time. We, we got a band and we play with sometimes with Bobby Bear Jr. And, uh, so I brought them in the studio and we laid down the songs and, and you know, Gregory was just like, no, 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 this is all wrong. We got to, we got to do this a different way. So 
is kind of assembled. Like I think that what we did for all of them was I would play the primary instrument, whether it was guitar or piano, uh, with a clock, and then we build it from there. So I'd go in there and do some kind of very, very simple drum beat that might be looped, and then we build on top of that. So it was very, very much studio constructed uh, tracks. You know, not something that was like a band playing in studio at all, and mostly me. You know, I'd be like, okay, now I'm gonna go play bass. Now I'm gonna go make up keyboard part. Unless I brought somebody in very deliberately. Like, if you hear a female voice, obviously that's not me. But, um... <laughs> what kind of bass did anyway. you Anyway. What kind of bass did you play? I'm trying to remember what he had. I had... It was whatever was in the studio. It wasn't anything really remarkable. I think that's all right. A, I'm a little... Um, I'm a little prejudiced that way, you know? <laughs> We're at the end of the September 20, 2021 dish. What Pedro special guest, John P. Strum, Hold tight for hour three! September 20, 2021. It's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro Show.
show started the third hour off with John P. Strom A plus B equals Y of course Babes New York City yeah one of the best fucking band names in the world am I a lioness I guess they should have a question mark there uh, three quarter romantic blues from Crane who by the way people up in uh, 
northern Idaho. He got the COVID-19, man, and he's, he's fighting it now. Got to be careful. Shit. Uh, man, it fucks me up. A tropical fuck storm, the greatest story ever told. Good fuck becoming, unbecoming. And when the world sang along, John P. Strope. So do you make demos? Or is it like you said, you and your buddy, you're just building these things. Parts is parts. <clears throat> I when I when I write I just tape stuff on my phone, you know, and and uh, I, I I should have a, a better home studio set up here, but uh, and I do, you know, I have audio gear so I could do something that sounds better, but it's just like I like to work with somebody. I don't like to self-produce literally, you know. I was I was an engineer at one point uh, out of out of Berkeley, and I worked in studios, and I could do it, but I don't enjoy being creative while I'm having to do all the technical stuff. I want somebody else to be kind of driving a lot of creative. So it's great to have a collaborator. So yeah, I just, I just tape it on, on my phone and, and go in there and say, here's what I got and then take it from there. That's why I mentioned that demo, like, cause sometimes like they say a picture is worth a million words and Steph telling uh-huh. the dude all the parts or writing it all out on a manuscript paper. You just play them like this, like you, like you said, what a, a voice memo. <clears throat> I don't, yeah, I don't do that. You know, I want to, I want to have other people's ideas in there. You know, I, I don't, I don't want it just to be something that I dictate. I think it's more interesting that way. But I wanted to mention, there's one song you played, A plus B equals Y, which is a cover by a band called Polera. You remember the band Polera? Is that familiar to you? Uh, um, with the Galaxy 500 they, they, people. They were never a big band. They, they were from Minneapolis. They were signed to Interscope. Oh, and, that's it. No, uh, I played with them. I think they had a drummer that stood up. Maybe. Oh, that I was, think I shared that was stage. Shakespeare, I think. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so the, the the guy that was the main guy in Polaris, a guy named Ed Ackerson, who was kind of my best friend for a long time, a musical collaborator. And speaking of heartbreaking stuff, he got cancer and died uh, in 2019. He had he had uh, pancreatic cancer and it was oh. very sad. So the uh, and, and he and I were very close. So I contributed that song to a compilation that was uh, – uh, fundraiser in his memory, but um, I've been also been very inspired by you know losing my main collaborator the last twenty years uh, in that way, and it's made me want to make music again. And um, so that that's that's been a, a sort of silver lining. And a couple times, uh, basically bookending the pandemic, February twenty twenty, and then more recently last summer, I went up to Minneapolis and stood in his shoes and fronted that band, you know, as the front person of Polera, you know by his widow's uh, request, you know, to pay tribute to his music, which has meant a lot to me. And it's got me back into it in a lot of ways. Yeah, losing people has always been the hardest lesson for me, and I've never gotten fucking used to it. No, and it sucks about getting older because it happens more. Not older, uh, less younger. Yeah, less younger. There you go. <laughs> get getting less younger. That shit happens. The odds often, go but, up, uh, right? Yeah. yeah, the odds go up. Yep. And but it fucking it's never. It's not like oh man, like you got a callus on your heart or something. Like oh, I'm used to that now. No, it hurts every fucking time. It doesn't get easier. You got That's you gave me sure. you, you gave me a a couple more Blake baby. Let's play. Uh huh.
From another restless night Who find demons in my head But I'm not scared anymore, no, I'm not No, I'm not afraid of that lie
Pedro Show, last music for this edition. Sanctify from Blank Babies. Then waiting for black metal records to come in the mail from Have a Nice Life. Good morning, Mr. Vampire. This is live in the Netherlands, Tim Holhouse. Bad Blood Exhaust out of Germany. Beast, Black Humor, Next Step. This album cover, you know what, they, they went to the thrift store. This is like early 80s. And, you know, got all these soul records and just painted their name on the... <laughs> mine had Aretha, it was originally Aretha Franklin. They spray painted on <laughs> yeah. And, and I played the... This one's called uh, Next Step. But last uh, episode, I played Neo Hippies. And it's got the greatest line, you know, the only thing new is you finding out about it. That's pretty, mm. yeah, it's right to the point. Uh, no Joy with Star Child is Dead. Don't mean to laugh. And and finally, Blake Babies with Train. Uh, look, music, especially um, a gig or a record, it's it's not just the cats making the sounds, right? It's a bunch, about a bunch of people, usually. Yep. A gig is more, I think, maybe the music maker and the gig goer, the listener, but the other stuff like, you know, records and maybe big gigs. Nah, even a club gig, you need some dude, you can't mix it from the stage. <laughs> right. Like shit, yeah. So what I'm getting at is, is this job you got, you can put someone in a situation where they can compose and have their stuff released. That's an incredible kind of uh, power sounds gross, but uh, opportunity maker thing well it's i'll tell you this mike it's challenging because um i spent my first 30 years of my life as a musician and then i spent the next 20 years of my life as a basically artist advocate as a lawyer and and now now i'm president of a record company and it's not like i'm autonomous to do whatever i want it's a big concord it's a big company of course and i run a couple of labels that are within concord you know and i have you know, Tom Wally's my boss and, and there's, you know, <clears throat> board of directors over, over him. So it's like, it's a process, but it yeah, is. You know, I know, I know. That's I why I didn't to want do... to say power because that sounded weird, but opportunity creator, you, you can, it's definitely you can get that going. And, and... It's not like you're this dictator that waves his hand. I'm not trying to say that, but you, you, you might be able to provide some opportunity. Well, I like connecting music with listeners, you know, and when yeah. I hear music, they're really, blows me away it's like i want to turn other people onto it and that's one of the great joys of my life say hey check this out and it's a way to be you know saying that on a very grand scale and you know get get music in people's ears and you know i'm still as passionate about music now as i was when i was you know a kid and uh you know I, it's happy to be getting back into making music but you know the, the the primary thing in my life is supporting uh musical projects that i think are great and want people to hear you know and and i'm much very very satisfied to be a sort of behind the scenes music advocate as opposed to being you know somebody who's you know center of attention that's that's comfortable for me yeah yeah and uh you got to be kind of open-minded right well look i mean you know you know it's great you know when it's great it's great when you when you you know whatever it is that happens to you you know the hairs in the back of your neck stand up or whatever it's like when you hear something that's great you know it's great and I'm real confident about what I think is great and, you know, and it's exciting to me. So, you know, that's the main thing that guides me in what I do is listening, is listening and, 
having a lifetime of loving music and, and uh, you know, waiting for the thing that's really going to light me up, you know. That's, that's why my job is great. And also, since you've been there, you can kind of relate to these cats. Yeah, that that's, it's... You know what I mean? Remember the old that, paradigm, the suits, you know, us in the suits. Now, yeah, how I long do. have yeah. you been wearing the suit, right? But to me, you don't seem like such a suit. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm no different now than I was when we were hanging out back in the, in the that's 80s. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm, 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 this, I'm sort of on the same trip. You know, I realized at some point with Blake Babies, a lot of what I was doing was what I do now. I was trying to find a way to move things forward and make connections to get the band so people would hear it so we could play those gigs and you know get overseas and make records and stuff and i still do that i just do that for other other people yeah know? yeah yeah no <laughs> don't get me wrong easier man. for me looks there's guys in suits that have helped me out big time and big reason i feel was because they were open-minded sure and I'm, I'm very grateful for that you know it's so much shit, it's so uptight, and everybody thinks the way it's spo supposed to be. What the fuck? How do you ever have a tomorrow that everything's figured out? <laughs> anyway. Well, it's funny that you mentioned suits because there was a time what I, I had a crash and burn moment when I was about thirty. I, I'd, I'd been out on, on tour with with Lemonheads with Evan, and it was kind of going wrong, and I was real frustrated, and I wanted to have a family, so I just said fuck it all, and that's when I went to law school, and it was kind of like a reset, you know, like I'm going to do something different with my life. And for a couple of years, I was just a lawyer. I was putting on a suit every day and going into a big law firm and moving money around. You know, that was my gig. And I hated that. That was really rough because all of <laughs> yeah, a sudden I, I had kids at home and, and, uh, and I had a job and Understood. I was Understood. paying my bills, but yeah, you it was be miserable. So then I had to find my way back to music. And that, that was, that was my next phase was like, how do I get back to being about music? So I'm very grateful every single day. Well, that that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm talking about, you know. Yeah, John, I'm grateful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us, please. Great pleasure. Well, it's good to talk to you. This, this is the way we can do it, you know, if I only run into you every, every five <laughs> years or so, you know. I, I got a tour. I'll be, out in, go, I'll be out in Nashville in uh, March or April, something like that. With Mike well, Vigetta. I'll come and we'll hang out. It'll be great. Okay. It'll be great you to see you. come up from Franklin in uh, Yes. Uh, you know what I will ask you to do? To cut the shit and start the pit. Yeah, that's right. Big love, John. People, it's been September 2020. You can count on me, Watt. You can count on me in the pit. Keep your powder dry.